just having the content, like the content isn't enough. And I think a lot of people in media and publishing say like, our product is the content, but actually in this world that we're living in, it's not enough anymore. This is a better product original series sharing stories of big bets made in product. Did they pay off? Let's find out. Nina Foratan is the director of product development at Forbes, and she made a big bet in 2020, launching a subscription model. Why take that on? She shares her insights on the market opportunity that presented itself while noting whether the bet is actually paying off. Here's Nina. So I want to jump in and learn all about what it's like to create a product at a non-product company, a media company at Forbes. When you started, what does director of product development look like at a media company? Yeah, that's a great question. And and what does like director of media of a product look like at a 102-year-old media company? And how do they transform from traditional journalism that's in magazine form, print form to digital. And a lot of my role is figuring out what my job is and working with the leadership at the company and figuring out what types of areas we want to focus on. How do we want to develop the product owners that enter the team, new members that join and existing members that join? How do we develop their careers? And then how do we basically prove that product is important? There's people that have been working on the edit side for 25 years. What is product to them? And so a lot of it is also just like educating company-wide departments on what we can do, how we can help them with their goals, and then how we can involve our products, our content to reach wider audiences outside of you know what we ever thought was possible. So you have people internally that you have to help understand what product is. You've got to then imagine it's also tough on the market as well. You have people that are used to interacting with Forbes in one way, and now you're thinking about bringing them along in the digital world. So it seems like a lot of stuff to balance. But before I dive into that a little bit more, I'd love to understand the existential question of why a product at all. There's a lot of different ways to go digital, especially in media with ads and all those things. Why was product important to begin with as a strategy for Forbes? I think product as a term, as a career path has been thrown around a lot. It's very like in vogue right now. It's very cool and trendy to be in product. And I'm teaching entry level product to people that want to go into that direction. So what is product? And really what we do on the product side is we're at the intersection between our users and our advertisers and our business needs. We help protect the end user while also thinking of ways to evolve our current product lines to be optimized on the revenue side. And I think in that way, we listen, we're problem solvers, we're creative thinkers, we fill the gap between traditional departments at companies. And I think it's really important because you need someone in the room that's thinking and protecting your end user and building opportunities for them to engage with your brand. And I think right now, there's so many new companies popping up because of the growth of technology. And so how do you stand out? Like you have a lot of clout with your name, but how are you evolving to meet the demands of this new sort of demographic that is emerging? That's where I think product comes in is where the people that kind of continuously remind everyone in the room, that's really what we should be focusing on. Tell us a little bit about what the product is that you're working on. You have a subscription model. So let's dive into that. And and I'd love to learn more about what you're doing with Forbes in that space. It's been a phenomenon that a lot of publishers are moving towards building loyalty and community. So before where you would go to a site, it could be the Wall Street Journal or Forbes or Bloomberg, and you would 
come from search, you'd probably read one, one article and leave. That is no longer an efficient model. And you can't really rely on ads on a page anymore from a digital publisher. What we're building at Forbes is through subscription, we're building community, we're building loyalty, and we're providing value to our end users, helping them find what they are looking for faster, more efficiently, supporting their careers. So we have a lot that we're doing around providing value to C-suite. So if you're a chief marketing officer and you um, go to Forbes for your industry news and industry knowledge, how can we make that easier for you? And how can we provide more value for you? So the subscription product at Forbes is really about building value for users that are either loyal to Forbes or may not even know they're on a Forbes article. So the product that we're building is to create habit-forming features that delight our readers and keep them coming back and keep them coming back enough where they would they want to pay for an exclusive membership with us in the form of subscriptions. Is that challenging to do when people are used to, I guess I don't, I'd actually, I shouldn't say that it was free before because I don't know what, what it was, but shifting from being able to access free content through search versus putting a paywall around it in terms of a subscription, has it been challenging from the user's perspective? I think that the ability to find content and information is so easy these days. Like on social media, there's Instagram, there's tons of content. If some breaking news happens, you just go on to Instagram and there's 20 people in your friend group posting about some breaking news thing. We can't really rely anymore of just having the content, like the content isn't enough. And I think a lot of people in media and publishing say like, our product is the content, but actually in this world that we're living in, it's not enough anymore. So you have to provide value through features through building opportunities to engage with community, through opportunities to learn something that you wouldn't before. And we still have a lot of our users that come from search. And so how do we get those users to realize like you're getting your answers from Forbes? And how do we do it without being invasive, but more sharing what's possible on Forbes.com? And it is challenging to do that because you're entering a new world where you're not looking at third-party data anymore. Forbes built their first-party platform called Forbes One. And so we realized we really need to start with the data. So what do we know about our, our readers? Who are they? What do they want? And through answering those questions, I think it'll start to become more and more clear as to how our subscription products and our revenue products should evolve to meet the needs of our users. So give me an example of, of a product that, that you've found some traction with so far. Or a feature, I guess I should say. We have a lot of amazing subject matter experts on Forbes, like for, for anything from like aerospace to blockchain and crypto technology to video gaming. And so we have found that there is an extremely loyal base of readers that follow our authors. So we have following on Forbes.com, similar to like social media where you could follow someone that you like or want to see what they're up to. You can go to Forbes and if you log in, it's actually a free feature. You can log in and follow an author that you really like. During the past year, a lot of authors that wrote about taxes and, and money because of like the changes in regulation and like, when are we getting our stimulus checks? That, those authors really found a lot of followers. They became like the gurus to help them navigate this confusing time for a lot of Americans. And so we found that following is resonating with our readers and providing value for them. And it, it's 
getting rid of that like static and that noise in the digital world and it's helping them hone in. Oh, I I feel like I know this person. I, I can follow them. They're speaking to me. I trust them. And I think that is a huge takeaway for all publishers. Your readers will really resonate and be loyal to you when they feel like they find your content is speaking to them directly and there's community around it. I like what you said that you almost acknowledge that you can't just like win on content anymore because it's just so pervasive. So admitting that now you build this product around that, but it still relies, even with the example you just gave of authors, how do you figure out what's successful or not succeeding and why? Because I would imagine sometimes is the content bad? Is it, is that not it? Or how do you even find new content? How do you even find those opportunities? It's got to be challenging to figure out what's a content problem or a content opportunity versus a product or an adoption problem. We definitely you know, need content, obviously. We wouldn't exist without the content and the authors that write the content. But how do we know, to your point, is it the headline that they didn't resonate with? Is it because the article was too long and they got their answer in the first paragraph? That's why they didn't scroll more. So we can look at baseline metrics, click-through rate and scroll depth, time on page. But to your point, like that doesn't tell the whole story of is it the content? Is it the experience? How do we know if we're doing justice to our initiatives? Like, How do we know if it's successful? And that's actually been the biggest question of our sort of quarter and the beginning of the year is like, how do we define success as we're trying to build loyalty? And I think that it's if anyone has a great answer for that, I would love to learn because I think that is like the billion dollar question because it is really hard. You can look at, okay, if people subscribe and they pay to, to have a subscription on our site, that shows that we're successful. But then you have to look at churn and then you have to look at engagement. So people are subscribed, but they're not really coming to Forbes.com. They probably just forgot about it. Do we count that as a loyal customer? Do we count that as a loyal member of Forbes readers? Or is that just someone that happened to have an opportunity to become a subscriber? So I I think it is really difficult to identify how you are successful, but it is through seeing those engagement metrics and building like algorithms around it. If you are following an author, if you're checking Forbes.com directly, if you're typing Forbes.com into your browser, those are indicators that you find that there is content that is successful there. So I think like behavior is very important. And in tandem with baseline metrics, you have to build behavior algorithms to see like how the readers are engaging. How does your team or does your product team collaborate with I don't, I don't know, the news, the media world, like the editorial team or the, the team that's in charge of creating the content. What does that look like? Yeah, so we have a business intelligence team that's building out, you know, the platforms in which we collect the data that's available. And then we have a data products team, which builds actual algorithms and products around collecting um, the data. Like we, we have a data set, which is what our BI team can provide us. What do we do with it? So we have a team that helps us figure out what to do with the data. How do we parse through it? How do we even know what to look at? That is, you know, indicator of importance. And I think that's a big initiative on its own. And that's something we've been working through, looking at repeat readers. So people that come back more often, looking at their behavior patterns, 
What do they do when they're on the site? If they're logged in, do they follow a new author? How many articles do they read per session? Do they read the entire article or does it seem like they're just scrolling passively? Are they on a desktop or a mobile device? So we basically start by creating hypotheses. I think this reader is coming here because she's traveling to work. She's on the train and she just wants to read the latest news that's on our breaking news stream. Or I think this reader is a CMO and she wants to learn um, about her industry because she's having a big talk next week. So she's been on like three times this week. And so I think we really start with hypotheses. And then we work with the other teams to validate those hypotheses and come up with algorithms that or basically this plus this equals a loyal reader and seeing if that is actually true. So I imagine like the headline of news has gotten so important in the digital age because it's got, it's getting scraped, it's got search engine optimization and everything going around. And so the clickbait headline became really important. And then imagery became even more important so that you can pull images and people click on those and engage those. Rewinding back to newspapers and magazines, it was really different. And it, it was, it always seems that like the content itself, the news itself or whatever, depends a bit on the medium. And there's almost this like back and forth effect on you can't change the news that exists, blockchains happening regardless, but the way you cover it almost seems to change a little bit with the way it's delivered. So I'm curious if you're seeing that or, or looking for that as you productize Forbes, do you see how what you're doing on the product side impacts the way media or content is consumed in, in any kind of way? At Forbes, we have an amazing backend team that built our in-house content management system called Birdie. And they ask these questions a lot. And they're really close to the staff and contributors who write the content. And in the past couple of years, they've really realized that like we can utilize AI technology to help support some of these questions. Like if you're staff and you're been you've been researching some story for a month, you don't really want to think probably like too hard and long about your headline. You just want to get the story out. So how can we build tools to help them optimize their headlines and optimize their imagery? And so we've actually built a lot of that into our Birdie platform. So we do have a headline optimizer where if a writer creates a headline, it'll actually tell them, hey, like maybe you should add another word or maybe it's too long. And we also include like SEO rules around that. So to make sure that we're search engine optimized. And so I think we've realized at Forbes that the writer can only do so much. It's really hard to also have them like make sure that their imagery is like the best image and their headline is the best headline. And so I think this thought process started many years ago at Forbes. And now I'm seeing industry wide that a lot of other publishers are looking at their own content management system and saying, hey, is there anything we can do to help our writers not have to like, worry about this so much, but it can help provide tools to get them to a place where it is the right image. Can we A-B test it? We realized because of data and technology, we don't always have to do these things on our own. We can build tools to, to help support it. Looking ahead to the future, how do you see that continuing? Do you have goals or even just thoughts on what the future for Forbes is as you continue to build out the product team? Yeah, I think the more we dive deeper into the hypotheses that we have and the questions we have around how do we evolve Forbes, the more I see technology 
coming more and more into play. And so I think we're really going to be leaning into AI, not only for our Forbes content, but also some of our standalone content and products that we have. We have a product that's an investing tool at Forbes called AI Investor, and that's a standalone product. It's a subscription-based product where we have an amazing um, company that is part, part of Forbes now that's built AI modeling that basically tells you like, this is a good buy, this is a good sell. And so I think we're really leaning into technology more than anything to help provide not only like our plethora of content on the site, but also products off of Forbes that help add value to our standalone products that maybe are not so much about the content, but are about helping you making buying decisions. We also have a a commerce side of Forbes as well, which a lot of publishers are also doing. And so we have our Forbes shopping channel, which is also using a lot of deep insights to help our readers make better buying decisions about whether it's a mattress or Amazon Prime Days coming up. So I think we, we're looking at ways to add value, not only in content, but also in every aspect of our readers' lives. What was Forbes in the very beginning? Because I know it like in my last couple of decades, but what was it in the very beginning? Forbes was extremely ahead of its time when it first launched. They started with the magazine. It was dedicated. It was actually like on the cover. It was, I think I'm going to mess up exact wording, but it was like for the doers and the thinkers. It was like an entrepreneurial focused magazine. I think that from the beginning, Forbes was always storytelling about people that are entrepreneurial and that are cha- like changing the world with their you know ideas. And they had the list like, Early on, they had, I think it was like the top 10 best companies to work at. So they they really had a lot of women's focused stories as well. So from the beginning, they were always about telling stories of success. And that's what they will continue to be, I think, for the next 100 years is telling stories of success and helping. I think we're moving towards like helping our readers be successful. So that like the goal, I think, for a lot of our initiatives is how do we help our readers win? How do we help our subscribers win? And what do they need from us to help them get there? A lot of people want to start their own company. A lot of people have their own company. They're not sure about how to file for taxes with a new business. Like, How do we help answer these questions for them? I don't see that mission ever changing with Forbes. Yeah, you answered what my follow-up was going to be is if you still feel like that that original mission is a part of what you do now, it sounds like it is. Does that come into play on the product development side? Is that a guiding sure you don't say every start every single meeting say how do we help the doers and thinkers but is it a part of the ethos of what you're still doing now when in terms of guiding the decisions you make on products our role in product is to remind everyone that we're here for the readers we're here to help them we want to make sure that we're not creating experiences to annoy them or bother them we want to support what their desires are when they come to our site and then Connected to that, like internally, I think that resonates through our culture at Forbes. Everyone is there knowing that the company's invested in their success. And that's how what I, you know, tell my team is I'm here to invest in your career growth. Hopefully you'll be at Forbes forever. But I want to make sure that the work that you're doing at Forbes adds value to you as well. So I think that is just like an ethos that resonates in, in our work on, on a daily basis. As you think ahead towards the future and the things that you're doing now, what are you most excited about? Yeah, I think this year and a half, I think it's been so far, has really put into focus at Forbes um, how important the you know product and engineering teams are. Because once you take away like meetings and all the get togethers and all that, like it's really, hey, I have this idea and I need to ha- have it go out. 
and product and engineering have been like the gatekeepers and the leaders of helping other departments be successful. And so I think that sort of will continue to resonate. I'm really excited to see how Forbes itself will evolve through technology and through getting closer relationships with our readers. We have a number our events business, our live events business went online. And we've seen, I think, like many publishers, many brands that had an online events business, like how that evolves to become virtual. And so I think this virtual world, this virtual opportunity has opened a lot of doors for us to think outside the box. Like we don't only have to connect in a face-to-face manner, but we can connect in other ways online. And then tied to that, I'm really excited for experimenting at Forbes. We've always had a testing side of product where we can test new ideas, but we're pushing to have bigger ideas, bigger experiments to get faster results. I think we're moving towards this sort of culture in product where we're trusting ourselves to be a little bit more creative outside of the box and be a little bit more extreme in testing our hypotheses. And so I think just like the general culture shift on Forbes.com will also resonate to our readers and the opportunities that they'll start to see for them on Forbes. Continue the series with us by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts or head on over to betterproduct.community.